All right, this feels incredibly weird. Does this feel, anybody else, this feels weird? I feel like we are, we are flying through this service, uh, but we're not. For those of you that may have not been in here yet at the very beginning, we are doing our order of worship out of our normal order today. And so I'm going to preach and then we're going to do some praise singing subsequently to that. Uh, so, so yeah, hopefully this will go well. I don't know. We'll see. Each week we gather here at Byfield to worship God. And there are several primary actions that we undertake as part of worship. We pray. We hear the word of God preached. We sing to the Lord. We also offer our tithe and sacrifices. All of these actions have a biblical basis. All are important. Today, we are going to focus on the singing portion of those actions. We're going to talk about why this is something that we gather together to do, why this is an important thing to do, and we're going to, excuse me, we're going to look to uh, Exodus, where we have been for the past several weeks, uh, for our basis on that. The past couple of weeks, the scripture I've been, pe been preaching from has informed us of what happened when the Lord rescued the people of Israel from the Egyptians at the Red Sea. In today's verses, the Israelites worship God for what he has done with song. Worship through singing is an important part of loving God. Today we are going to spend time exploring why it is important we sing to the Lord. Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. The song sung by the Israelites covers the first 18 verses of that chapter. We're actually going to just read verses 11 through 18, but we're really focusing on the whole experience of singing to the Lord exemplified throughout the first portion of this chapter. Let's get started in Exodus 15 verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the king, now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are as still as a stone, till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by, whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. 
Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Worship, specifically singing, is a response to who God is. God is greater and more awe-inspiring than we can know. Our capacity to express his greatness falls short. We lack the words to fully explain who God is. It is not that many of the claims we make about God in church are incorrect. The issue with what we say about God is that our statements are always an incomplete reflection of his majesty, of his greatness. God cannot be limited by the words we use for him. The words we use for God are snapshots of one aspect of God. Words are inherently limited. The limits of human language in describing God have always been present. The name of God, Yahweh, which he shared with Moses, highlights the impossibility of describing God. New words are being created all the time. I, I share a home with a 14-year-old boy, and he's frequently using words. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what that word means. Like, and I'm like, can you use that in a sentence? And he uses it in a sentence. I'm like, I still don't know what that word means. But all the words that we create all the words spoken from human lips are insufficient for describing God. The limits of the words we have are an outworking of our intellectual limits. Psalm 139 highlights how God transcends our limited understanding. The psalmist writes, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the same. I awake and I am still with you. Over the past several hundred years, attempts have been made to transcend our limitations by describing God with a more scientific approach by Christian thinkers. The Enlightenment and the Reformation both happened at the same time. For those who may not be aware, the Enlightenment was an intellectual movement that sought to understand the world differently. Prior to the Enlightenment, creation was understood to be a mystical, enchanted place. Over time, the Enlightenment shifted the way people interacted with their world. Science and analytical thought replaced mystical thought. Science brought with it many benefits. It turns out much of what was mysterious in the world could be understood and predicted. Modern science, advances in agriculture, transportation, and industry were all products of scientific knowledge that came about over the past several hundred years as scientific thinking 
came to dominate more areas of human thought. The successes of science in so many areas contributed to thinking that God could be fully described and categorized. For the person with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Scientific thinking is a tool that was applied to God. God is not a nail. We can certainly use science or the other intellectual capacities God has blessed us with to understand who God is better. God wants us to seek understanding of him. He has given us a capacity to know him, not shared by any other living thing in this created world. There's plenty we can say about who God is. Through singing, we explore the limits of what we can know and say. Listen to the words the people of Israel sang about God to God. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? The answer to the question posed is rhetorical. Nobody is like God. There is no being to which God can be fully equated. Any comparison inevitably falls short of accurately communicating about God. Frequently throughout the Bible, poetry, often put to music and sung, is used in an attempt to express who God is. About one-third of the Bible is poetry. The majority of God's speech in the Bible is poetic. In today's verses, the song that is being sung is a repetition of the story that has just been told. In the narrative preceding the song, we are told what God did for the Israelites. Verses 26 through 28 of Exodus 14 report that the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. This same event is recounted in a portion of the song that we didn't already read. In the first part of chapter 15, Moses and the people sing out, Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts hath he cast into the sea, his chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed 
in pieces the enemy in the greatness of thine excellency thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee thou sentest forth thy wrath which consumed them as stubble and with the blast of thy nostrils the waters were gathered together the floods stood upright as a heap and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea I chose the King James translation of this song because I think it's more poetic. It does a better job capturing the power of the song. The point of contrasting the narrative and the song that both inform of what God did at the Red Sea is not to highlight any contradiction. There is no contradiction. Both share what happened. God destroyed the Egyptians in the Red Sea. The song is the best attempt of those who are there at communicating the majesty of God that could not be adequately described through repeating the bare facts of what took place. Those who have experienced God firsthand will respond with worship. Singing is the most common form this worship takes. The Israelites have definitely experienced God firsthand. Their song is an expression of hearts that have been filled to overflowing. Singing is an outworking of what they feel. When you feel strongly about anything, it makes you want to sing. Humans will never stop writing love songs for this reason. We need to express how we feel. We will never stop singing about heartbreak or songs of happiness for the same reason. Music can express what is going on in the human heart more fully than a single statement of fact. When I'm really sad, singing along to the song Hurt by Johnny Cash reflects my frame of mind more simply, more fully than just saying, I'm sad. Cash cries out in his gravelly voice, what have I become? My sweetest friend, everyone I know goes away in the end and you could have it all my empire of dirt i will let you down i will make you hurt that's sad right that's more impactful than just saying i feel sad I can think back to different moments in my life and remember songs I sang in specific moments that communicated how I felt. Songs of sadness, joy, and love. Any true experience of God results in strong feelings. It is actually impossible to come away from an experience with God not having strong feelings. 
Those feelings vary. Awe, fear, joy, dread, love, or a mix of these emotions are all possibilities depending on the person and the circumstance. It is not possible to have an interaction with the living God and feel neutral. The Israelites are passionate about God. Their song is an expression of that passion. God is worthy of song because of who he is. The people of God are even more motivated to sing praises of worship because of his actions on their behalf. God saved the Israelites from the Egyptians. Whenever one person saves another person, the one that has been saved wants to celebrate the one that did the saving. It would be weird if someone saved my life by pushing me out of the way of a speeding car for me to respond by simply saying, thanks, and going on my way. The appreciation I feel would be in proportion to how much I believed my existence was threatened. The Israelites are fully aware of the situation they would be in apart from God. They would still be enslaved by the Egyptians, experiencing a living death. Or worse, they would be actually dead. Our singing to God reflects how much we believe God actually saved us. The Israelites were saved by God at the Red Sea. We have been saved by Jesus Christ on the cross. Without that action undertaken on our behalf, we would still be enslaved in a living death. Eventually, we would be completely dead, both physically and spiritually, for all eternity. We sing praises to the Lord. It is through Jesus Christ we have been saved. How we sing indicates an understanding of what we have been saved from. We should want to sing the praises of the one who saved us. The efforts of God on our behalf, which warrant our praise, are not all tied to a one-time event. The Israelites' song recognizes what God has done, is doing, and will do. God defeated the Egyptians, and he is protecting the Israelites from their other enemies. They sing he will bring his people in and plant them on his own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord has saved, is saving, and will save his people. Our salvation is in the Lord in an ongoing way. We sing of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We recognize what he is doing in the present. And we look forward 
to what He will do to save us in the future through song. Singing praise to God is an experience that includes our emotions. The emotional nature of singing is a common problem for many Christians. There are those that are not comfortable expressing their emotions or even having them. It is a common idea in some Christian circles that emotions are inherently bad or at least very dangerous. People that think this way believe that emotions are what cause sin. Our emotions can certainly be involved in our sin. They can absolutely precipitate But they are not the source, they are not the sole source of our brokenness. Let's see here. Our emotions, okay, we'll skip on. Our emotions are not the sole source of our brokenness. They are a, a potential reason for our brokenness. They are one factor that plays in to the, the mistakes, the sins that we commit. But we need to look to have those emotions redeemed. And that is part of what we are doing in worship. Our emotions are engaging with the living God through the songs we sing. And through that engagement, our emotions are being changed. They are being shaped even as we sing to the Lord. In this way, singing has elements of being a therapeutic exercise, not in the bad way that our society so often tries to engage, but in the sense that we are bringing our emotions into contact with the living God, recognizing that as flawed as we are, as broken as our emotions are, that when our emotions are in proper relationship to the living God, we are being changed for the better. That is, that is not the purpose of why we sing. The primary purpose of why we sing is to worship the living God who deserves our praises. But in doing that, in properly relating to the living God through song, it has the extra effect of also changing the way we relate to God and then also to the world. Our emotions are not the point of our worship. This is the flip side of people that try to operate in a non-emotional way towards God. There are those, and this is also a common problem in our society, that look at their emotions as inherently good. If there's a circumstance in which they feel good, in which their emotions feel alive, then they think that that must be a good circumstance, that that's a feeling that should be desired and pursued. 
But our emotions can take us down a path that we don't, we shouldn't want them to go. We don't worship God to instigate an emotional state in ourselves that, that we feel good about or enjoy. We worship God because He warrants our worship. And when we are worshiping God, He works through those emotions to change who we are, to change our lives. Glorifying God with our whole heart is the ideal we should aspire to in worship. Psalm 86.12 says, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Through singing to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our emotions, and by extension, our desires, and every other part of us are changed for the better. Singing is a means by which we are sanctified. It is a key component of growing in holiness and Christ's likeness. Singing songs of praise and lament has always been a key component of growing in faith. We need to sing to the Lord as individuals. We also need to sing to the Lord as a community. Through singing, God should take his rightful place as the primary focus of our hearts and minds. As Christians, we are commanded to sing to God. Singing is an important way we obey God's command to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The fact that the Holy Spirit works through singing to change us for the better, that shouldn't confuse us about what our focus should be. Our focus should be on the Lord. It is by focusing on Him that we are changed. When we are focused on ourselves, we are not singing as we should. Through singing, we are preparing ourselves for eternity. In the throne room of the Lord, the refrain of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come never ceases. Multiple times in the book of Revelation, we are told that those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ will lift up their voices in songs of praise. Today's service here at Byfield is unusual. Normally I preach. Normally we sing and then I preach. And today we flipped that order and we are now going to sing together. As we do so, let us remember what we are doing as we sing. You are praising God for all he has done as creator and Lord. 
You are praising Jesus Christ for His atoning work on the cross. You are praising the Holy Spirit for His sanctifying presence. I challenge everyone in this room to praise the Lord with their whole hearts. Let's sing as the Israelites did in today's verses. They sang to God who saved them. We do the same. Worship isn't about you. It's about God. Through prioritizing God as we should, our hearts are changed. Our emotions are reformed. God is our source of stability and, and strength in times of trouble. Singing to the Lord is fundamental to embracing the victory we have in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, each of us are broken and incomplete vessels, Lord. The words we have in which we try to describe you, to engage with you, they fall short of your truth, Lord. But Lord, you are merciful to us. Even in our songs, you give us the ability to express what our words fall short of, Lord. And we, we thank you for that. I pray that wherever people are in this room today, they would be able to look to you. They would be able to sing praises to you who is safe. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.